Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. This is Cesar Pliqueta. This is William. This is Ali Riley. Hi, this is Ruben Loftus-Cheek, and you're listening to the London is Blue podcast. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London is Blue podcast, your home for all things Chelsea FC. Nick, Dan, and I cover all of Chelsea's latest matches, team news, and even throw you some exclusive interviews. Thank you for being an awesome listener, and with no further delay, let's jump right in. That's right, Chelsea fans, we are back with another episode of the London is Blue podcast. Here, hanging out with me, as always, Nick and Dan. Gentlemen, uh, here we are, another Sunday match. They're not my favorite, Nick, I have to, I have to say. Sundays are a busy day for me. It, uh, I just want another Saturday 3 p.m. kickoff. <laughs> what are those? Uh, what are, <laughs> Saturday? <laughs> I mean, what? yikes. I think that's asking a lot. Um, yeah, the Sunday matches are brutal, Dan. It's... Uh, Especially when you have to end your week, uh, such as we did today. Well, you have you know, St. Patrick's Day, you have uh, Selection Sunday, so there were a lot of things, thankfully, to take mind off of the match. But yeah, Sunday did not start well. It did not start the best way it possibly could have. It, uh, depending on who you like for college basketball hoops, might have ended a little bit better, but Anyways, we're not going to cover that. No Jeff Brazil surprise guest appearance today. Instead, we've got Dennis, the couch critic on YouTube, joining us as a first-time guest. What up, Dennis? What's going on, guys? Thanks for having me. What a Sunday. Not as super as I would have liked to have been, but, you know, up the Chelsea all the same. 
All right, we can appreciate that. Uh, it'll be good to get you on and obviously have a nice little discussion. I know that uh, uh, you had Nick on the reverse, so um, it's great to kind of return the favor. So welcome. Um, uh, as we look at it, the first thing right away, Nick, is the we've had a great week from a football blogging awards. Stanford Chidge announcing on the Chelsea FanCast last Monday that uh, – Un, you know, without even texting and, and, and WhatsApping each other, said, yes, London is blue, international creator, us, best podcast. And that's exactly what we were doing. Yeah, exactly. Um, if, if you have not uh, done this yet, we would really appreciate it if you would uh, vote for us for the best international content creator. Um, you can do this by going to footballbloggingawards.co.uk and, and throwing our name in the hat. You can also... Uh, follow the Twitter storm that we've uh, that we've been kind of conjuring up. Dan's been conjuring up uh, to enter that way too. We just want to generate as much buzz as we possibly can here uh, to uh, to get our, our name in the ring and then see what happens after that. Um, of course, on the flip side, we would also encourage you to go vote for the Chelsea Fancast as the best podcast. Um, you know, we're we're doing kind of a little a little exchange program here with Chidge and the boys. Dan, is that right? Yeah, it's a great way to bring the community together and to paint the football blogging awards blue. So, yes, support, please. Exceptional. All right. Well, you know, we also, Dan, have some iTunes views. More love rolling in on that platform. Oh, my gosh. There's a lot here. So we'll try to keep it brief and get to, I don't know, maybe we should prolong this and avoid talking about the match for a little <laughs> bit longer. Uh, Brett, Brett Go 4 uh, gave us five stars from the U.S. here. Uh, so it was great to hear people as excited as he is about the Chelsea. We also saw Lori B. in Atlanta, who actually her son recommended the podcast to her, and she loves it. So he's been a longtime Chelsea supporter, and now she's been using it to get up to speed on what's going on. So that's really awesome. We appreciate if only, that. If only my mom would listen now, Dan. I mean, <laughs> they the were heck? the first listeners, and they were the first uh, <laughs> listeners who dropped the podcast. Uh, worked out really well. Uh, Oliver Oates from the UK, uh, best Chelsea content creator, hands down. We saw uh, Giovan, uh, Giovincio FIFA 12. Awesome pod, see you in the Discord. So he's been joining as a part of our Patreon team too, which is excellent. We saw Illinois Chip saying passion, knowledge, keep Chelsea, uh, keep the London is blue flag flying high, which is really nice. Oh, Good adaptation there. Okay. We saw uh, David uh, Kleinhans saying he was a uh, very surprised from South Africa to that he's listening to Americans talk about actual football. So shock and awe campaign right there. And then uh, Callan uh, three. Huge Chelsea fan for years, listening to work, loving hearing the guys break down each game. And uh, unfortunately, this review came well before this match because he said that <laughs> happy we have at least a 50% chance of top four. Uh, the, the odds do not look that good anymore. And we'll get to that soon, Brandon. But ultimately, leave a five-star review on iTunes. We will give you a shout-out at the beginning of the podcast, and we are so thankful. We're actually very close to 500 total reviews in the U.S. iTunes store. We need 12 more as of Sunday at 422 uh, Pacific time in the U.S. right now. So let's get those next 12 so we crack, crack through 100 or 500. And then a huge shout out to Aiden and Joe jumping on to the Patreon team. Obviously, they will be in our Discord, which we get to, uh, well, hang out with and chat during the matches and talk afterwards. And there's even last night I offered up for anyone to play FIFA. So you can even get a little FIFA action in through our Discord server. It is fantastic. But 
Ladies and gentlemen, this is why you're here. The match review of Everton in the Premier League at Goodison Park this past Sunday, March 17th. Uh, everyone with the correct prediction here, uh, Everton's two, Chelsea zero. So I think we can just roll right into the lineups there, Dan. All right. Well, uh, some, I guess, surprises, not surprises, surprises. Uh, Kepa starts in goal. We saw the back line of... Marcus Alonso and Cesar Spilicueta as the fullbacks, Luis and Rudiger as our central pairing, Jorginho Conte and Ross Barkley, who got all the boo birds, uh, getting a chance to start at Goodison in his return to Everton. And then Higuain, Hazard, and Pedro as the front three with Caballero, Christensen, Loftus-Cheek, Kovacic, Giroud, Callum Hudson-Doy, and Willian on the bench. It would be Rune Loftus-Cheek and Giroud who made the first substitution appearances, and then Callum Hudson-Doy who made one in the 74th minute, Nick. That is correct. Um, it was... You know, overall take on this match, uh, it's going to be hard to find anything positive to, to say here, guys. Um, you know, we, we went into this match off of an incredibly frustrating draw against Wolves last weekend, knowing that we don't control our own destiny anymore uh, and that we will need to essentially win out uh, to have a, a real shot at top four. And... Uh, we're going to get into the specifics here, but I mean, the, the synopsis is that we played really well for 35 minutes and then uh, nothing. We had no answers. We had no, you know, there was a plan B, but it wasn't effective. Um, you know, it, it just wasn't good, Brandon. Yeah, Dennis, talking about the lineup from your point of view, I was a little surprised with uh, Barkley. Um, he, he rotated a lot of people, but again, left Alonzo in who just played what I guess to you kind of stood out and maybe surprised you a little bit with this lineup, or maybe you didn't, maybe this is exactly what you expected. More of what you just said, actually, mainly Alonzo only because it just, it made no sense to me to see Alonzo play midweek when the game meant nothing. If sorry, added in his head to say, well, you know what? Uh, I'm going to play Alonzo on the weekend. Like if, if he, if that was his plan initially, then why wouldn't he just play Emerson midweek, give Alonzo the full week of rest and then play him at the weekend. Like he, he just looked out of sorts the whole game, like completely out of sorts, completely outpaced. And with Barkley, I wasn't too, I wasn't too surprised to see him start, but I was, I was actually uh, really, really pleased with what I saw from him. To be honest with you, I thought that he, um, he asserted himself quite well on the pitch. And with without scoring, he looked threatening, which was more than we've seen from him in quite some time. Despite all the jeering that he got from the from the home support. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, a a warm reception was always on the menu for us, understandably so. I thought that might have played into his emotions a little bit. We can say if that did or didn't later. Uh, it probably added some extra pressure to him, um, but I guess we'll never really know kind of what was going on in his head. Uh, top line stats, Chelsea was 67% possession, 16 shots, 5 on goal. Everton had 15 shots, 8 on target absolutely way more effective than us um you know from there on you've got the fact that everton had 25 clearances um uh, and, and then you had the two yellow cards for chelsea one for everton and uh only nine fouls conceded for chelsea so again continue that but, but nice guy Brandon, streak 17 fouls conceded by everton and more that didn't one even get card. it's the, the calculation on this is absolutely ridiculous and 
like I mean, all credit to Anthony Taylor for being his best self um, and continuing to just you know show that the entire state of English refereeing is absolutely abysmal. I mean, we saw it across you know FA Cup matches this weekend and then in this match, but you know, just I I will never lose sight of the fact that when you go to a, a game and another team can essentially play the way they want against you in a very physical manner and you you know have one or two challenges the the Rudiger card in particular was absolutely just obscene in terms of the way that that was kind of you know cautioned by him i just you know i mean alonzo alonzo's was soft he didn't even grab the jersey essentially like you know put his hand on the hip and richarlison just went down so i understand in real time it looks like he did it but they didn't like there was no jersey grab at all it, it just it was super soft for both of them so i completely you know agree with that and would say the second one is highly questionable you know as well um it, it, yeah so refereeing i was listening to the bbc uh five live call-in show and there are people from england saying that they need to bring in foreign referees it is to that point they used to be a point of pride and they are now a point of embarrassment for the league and it is having mass mass effects on it um uh, you know as you look at the the expected goals map dan you have put in here uh, the score is two nothing everton were expected at 1.4 obviously plus one for a pen and then Chelsea are at 1.1. There's a lot of shots from Chelsea, but they're just not great shots. It looks like. Yeah. I mean, it's expected goals really benefits from the distance away from goal and then the angle of the shot. And there weren't a ton of opportunities that, you know, obviously you get your 19th hit against the woodwork in a one season in the premier league. And you know, that's kind of crazy bad luck there. You get Higuing kind of getting a, an off shot that you know is a little further away. I mean, n- none of them were what you would consider a very high quality shot, which ultimately is why the expected goal total was low. Even though we felt like probably through this, Dennis, that we could have had three or four goals at one point uh, just from the amount of pressure we were kind of putting on and the you know to 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 take a turn from Tottenham to put the pressure on in the first twenty minutes of the match. Well, the first 35 minutes, I thought we were all over them. It was just unfortunate that we couldn't find the find the marker. Um, for me, I actually thought that had we like what that one that one move by Barkley uh, when he got to the byline and crossed it to nobody essentially, a few more of those opportunities might have led to a little bit more goal scoring opportunities. But we got into good areas on the pitch. It's just we didn't hurt them when we got there. I mean, it's 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 the story. This is the story. Like. And the thing that I think is is so frustrating, Brandon, is un- unless a team has a really shoddy defense, i.e. that we can get behind frequently, Chelsea don't really score goals. I mean, our, our outside of the box shots are typically not on target. And, you know, we when we try and walk it into the back of the net or find space within the box I and mean, there's 12 people there somehow... So, I mean, this is what it is. Teams know how to set up against us, and they're basically playing. It's like when you when you play foosball, and you basically just try and make sure that your three and two are as, like, well-positioned to not let anything through as humanly possible. Um, that's that's how it feels right now for, for Chelsea. You're just kind of firing shots at a wall. <laughs> yeah, um, that's that's something. At OptiJoe coming in for... Only Fulham, six, have lost more Premier League 
games away from home in 2019 than Chelsea, who have played five, won one, lost four. Uh, turbulent. Yeah, that's one way to put it up to Joe. Unfortunately, turbulent uh, has been the name of the ride this season. And uh, as you look at the goals real quick, the 49th minute was Richarlison. This comes back to zonal defending. I mean, right? The fact that you can't play zonal defending if people don't attack the ball. And that is literally what happened in this case, Dennis. You didn't even win the first one. Keppa makes a fantastic save low to his hip. Um, and it just pops up, and Richarlison is the first to react as everyone else is just standing around waiting because it's not their zone. I mean, if you had a body on him, you could have boxed out. You could have gotten positioning, at least challenged. Instead, everyone in Chelsea's box is head on a swivel, just watching everything happen around them. It seemed a little bang-bang for me. I don't know about you, Nick, but I felt like uh, from the shot, Kepa makes a save. It just deflected immediately, instantaneously to Richarlison. He had he had nothing else to do but just to head it in. I'm not sure if that had a lot to do with the zonal marking as much as it had to do with the fact that, you know, it was just a bang-bang play and it was very hard to react to it. Well, when you had the uh, bird's eye view of the, of the cross, I mean, it certainly... Um, no one stepped up into the space. Um, I think that was the key. David Luiz let let a guy go, which is is totally fine as part of zonal marking. But then the whole point of it is that you have to go fill the space and put a head, um, you know, onto onto the cross, and no one did. And I, you know, Brandon, I I don't necessarily blame Keppa for having to make a reaction save. And there was, I mean, nothing you can do about the second one, but it didn't put him in a good spot, obviously. No one's blaming Keppa. What? No, that's not a thing. He's not a fault. He made a great save right off the bat. He's just got a bunch of Muppets standing around him, unfortunately. 72nd minute, uh, Gilfie Sigurdsson from the spot penalty, uh, thanks to Alonzo Dan this time. And uh, what do you know? Keppa with another great save. Nobody, yeah. nobody could have done anything about that rebound, though, unfortunately. Yeah, I think they made the comment and, you know, You'll have to give the additional analysis on a Brandon that they he almost jumped a little too far potentially. So you know, I mean, obviously, if you block it and under the new proposed rules heading into effect next season, they actually wouldn't get a chance to score off the rebound. So uh, you know, it's one of those things where you wish you had 2018 Chelsea's results um, as how we were kind of performing the first half of the season, but maybe also 2019-2020 uh, uh, officiating rules so that you could be the beneficiary of a better future because today we were kind of undone by uh, by both. Oh, I'm sorry. So it he, he dove too far. So that, that means that, it that was, was a... That was the statement on NBC, right. so, which seemed a little crazy. So all that means is that it was a shit penalty from Sigurdsson, and it hit him in the knees. So he had to bring his hands back down, which put it back in the middle. <laughs> I mean, I'm honestly, like, as a goalkeeper, you're expecting them to bury it. It's side netting. So you're at full stretch. If he puts it at your knees... Like then you gotta make an adjustment, and that's why he got a terrible, um, you know, deflection back into the middle. But by no means was that where Gilfie meant to go. It was, uh, yeah. If it can go wrong, it went wrong. So, uh, anyways, it was the ultimate tale of two halves in this match. Chelsea started out bright and looked poised to capitalize, but after Edensard hit the woodwork, there was a, there was little feeling left that uh, you know Chelsea's unlucky streak was going to continue. So then Everton entered in the second half and never gave up. They uh, well, is like reminded me of the the Monstars in Space Jam, except it was the opposite, right? Like 
they took Mike's Mike's secret juice, his water bottle, except Everton were doing it instead of us, and they just came out and were a different team, in my opinion. Uh, so, Nick, what did you observe as the biggest changes from the first half to the second half that uh, probably was the main factor in letting Chelsea down? Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, how, how much time do we have? Um, there, To me... When Everton broke out and had that first chance, and I think it was uh, a crossfield ball to Bernard, um, you know, kind of right away, it looked because uh, it looked to me like Chelsea had been, you know, kind of a cat playing with a mouse at the beginning, you know, the first half of this game, and it looked, you know, straight away in the second half like Everton knew they could get at us, and they did, and it was relentless and. Uh, you know, I'm not even telling you that they're a, a a great team or you know that you know they have the best talent in the world or anything like that. But uh, certainly, they just decided that they wanted to play. I mean, we certainly beat the crap out of them in the first half, except for scoring a goal, which you know doesn't mean anything. Uh, all the possession in the world without goals doesn't mean anything. So, Dan, I. I I don't really know if it was a mentality thing or if it's just the, you know, the legs kind of catching up with everybody or if it was, you know, a tactical change that actually opened up the, the midfield. Cause that's kind of how it felt to me, but it, it was, uh, it was poor and this is, you know, not the first time that this happened this season. Oh, and it's interesting because Everton really weren't afraid. You know, I think we've seen Chelsea struggle to break down teams that have gone you know, two banks of four, you know, and really put as many people behind the ball as they possibly could. And Everton were willing to play it forward to contest for the ball in midfields. I mean, we saw, you know, Andre Gomes and, you know, Jorginho or Barkley kind of going at one another. And, and that was a pretty lively matchup between those two. So, you know, I, I don't know if I want to say that it was a, a tactical issue. I mean, we definitely didn't try to exploit anything on the right-hand side today. So we didn't really, you know, put Pedro, you know, Conte or Azpilicueta in the positions to be, you know, where the kind of play was happening um, because we were seeing a lot of congestion on the left-hand side and we continue to try, try, and try again with Alonso and Hazard. And that just seemed to deteriorate over the course of the match. That The left-hand side just ended up getting, you know, weaker and weaker benefited from Loftus cheek coming in but it, it seems like there should have been more switching of the play from left to right Dennis and I, I just wonder why we weren't doing that when we've seen that work so well you know against you know in our last couple matches we've have you know have seen some beneficial uh, beneficial moments where we do switch up the play a little bit quicker I didn't I didn't notice that as much I thought we did switch it quite quite effectively the, the problem I had was when we did switch it to somebody like Pedro it would either it would be from like a Luis long ball and he wouldn't be able to catch up to it sort of fumbled out of bounds. Or when he did get a latch onto the ball, he wasn't able to find anyone to play off of. Like Aspi was nowhere to be found in the final third. And very rarely is he, to be honest. And the times that he was there, um, you know, he's very ineffective in the attacking phase of the game. And we've seen this uh, repeatedly over and over again. The problem I had with the second half is... Well, Everton basically sat back in the first half and allowed us to come on to them, see what we have. And then they waited 
to the second half to unleash their counter. And the counter consisted of exposing us where we're weak on the pitch, which is on that left flank. Uh, and we had no, we had no answer for that. Like Alonzo was getting murdered down that flank again, murdered like religiously, and it it just seems to be an ongoing problem. We we know where we're weak, but yet we don't do anything to change it. Uh, I would have liked to seen Ruben Ruben start today because I feel like he has more presence on the pitch. Not that Barkley didn't have a good game. I thought he was okay, but. Um, just in terms of like that presence, I don't think that we have. I don't think that we have somebody that's like, you know, asserting themselves on the pitch in the midfield right now, outside of like Angolo Conte, and it's it's proving to be a problem because uh, without having that that stature, that's something you can put put the ball into and know that they're going to hold it up or or pass it on to somebody else. Yeah, we're struggling to to build attacks. What do you think, Brendan? I think there's a lot of disconnection uh, in in the group. I think, I mean, we'll, we'll get into the whole uh, Maurizio talking about mentality a little bit later, so I'm going to go down that path. So I think to me, uh, it was also just a, a lot of subpar performances. So, uh, like Everton, Everton are in a terrible spot. Like, we're in a bad spot, they're worse, right? I mean, their manager is was is was will be very close to the sack throughout the season like if marco silva stays in his job the rest of the season like he'll have done himself really well they haven't won they haven't beat a top six team in the last two years uh at home they haven't you know i think they've won one in the last five in the premier league i mean they just lost to newcastle last weekend um they they are on a terrible run and for them to get battered in the first half and then be like, nah, no, nah, you know what? We got this. We can take it to Chelsea. It just drives me nuts. Um, and just to see Chelsea kind of be stunned or have no reaction to it is what makes me the most upset. You think back to, I don't know, Nick's talked about like Chelsea, like the nicest team in the league. And like, Dan, I know you pointed out the fact that, um, you know, refereeing, other teams are able to play much more aggressive against us than we are to them. But there's definitely no steal to the team. Um, I don't know. It's almost like we're a, this might sound a little weird. It's almost like we're a European team playing in England. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I, I So I think you're trying to say that, you know, in Europe where it's a, maybe a little bit more technical, maybe not as... Yeah, as rough and humble as a type of game that we're our style of football is more suited like if you dropped us in you know probably not in La Liga but if you dropped us maybe in you know the Bundesliga tomorrow like we would have an easier time of playing is that what you're trying to say I mean that and mentality like if someone pushes you you just stop you're like whoa hey that's that's not what we're about here and it's like no run through the wall run through the tackle you know, a, a big tackle lifts up the team. I mean, Rudiger's the only one who's got a tackle in him in that entire squad. Like, Dave hasn't even tackled this season. Like, I, he, I mean, to me, he's one that we should be concerned about. And we just signed him to a, an extension. He's the team captain. And so, to me, I just, there's no venom. There's no steel. There's no interest in, in playing on a wet, rainy night in Stoke. It's just this team, they're, uh, when it's convenient, they're on. And that is something that is uh, that really frustrated me today, and um, well, I, I can't get I, past. I, no, I, I hear you. I think the the problem that I have with it 
um, if I'm being completely honest, is that it's almost as if, you know, the in the NFL, you have your first 15 plays scripted for the most part. And if those first 15 plays go well, a team can kind of feel good about themselves and they can kind of move through the the rest of the game kind of knowing what worked and what didn't. Um, it feels like that with Chelsea at times. And it's like if the first 20, 30 minutes doesn't go to plan or we miss our chances or whatever, everyone's heads drop. And that to me is a mentality thing. That's something that uh, I don't know if that can be coached out of these guys or not, you know, because they, they didn't used to always be like this. You know, it's a relatively recent, you know, development over the last few years. But it's just, it's almost as if something has to go perfect for everyone to be on the same page, locked and loaded. Uh, and the desire to fight against, you know, some bad luck. Obviously, the 19 times hitting a post is bad luck. And, and some nefarious tackling isn't there right now. And, and that's, to me, I think the bigger question uh, about this team is not necessarily just, hey, you know, are you guys able to, you know, to run through the wall? It's like, all the other scenarios that kind of build around that, if that makes sense. Is it just me, or is the Chelsea mentality, from a supporter's standpoint, more, I wonder if we're going to score, and if we do, are, am I, I wonder if we're going to be able to keep a clean sheet. We just don't, we don't have that clinical clinicalness that we used to have to our game anymore. Like, when we had Diego Costa, Diego score a goal, and we know we'd be able to shut up shop. Whereas now, it's just... Both ang- both ends of the pitch, whether it's offensively or defensively, there's so many question marks. We don't know if we're going to score. And on top of that, we don't know if we're going to be able to keep a clean sheet. And it's just, there's not one thing that we can rely on in our game right now that's going to lead to us getting to start playing football outside of just playing, you know, sideways passes and getting into the rhythm that way. Anyone else feel that way? I know, I know, I know every game I watch, I feel like, are we going to score? Or are we going to keep a clean sheet? I mean, that's a confidence thing, right? Like, I, I would I would toss this back to Dan, but like, I think the, you know, when you have someone who's an absolute killer up front, a Drogba, a Costa, a Lampard, even like, and you know that if you provide a, you know, and and kind of rare these days, if you provide a guilt-edged chance that they're going to bury it, uh, or if not that one, they're going to bury the next one. It, I think it inspires everybody like it inspires people like Dave who wouldn't typically get forward as much to get forward because they know there is there's a active chance that, that we're going to do something and Dan I don't know how you feel about that but I, I just don't it screams to me that of a team that doesn't have confidence in its own pieces well and I think structurally right we set up this match and we put out Higuain who has struggled mightily and you know you look at like the stats where he's averaged yeah, I think you know he's gotten now three goals since he's come to the club and has done it over almost like 800 minutes at this point. I think it's like mid 700s. Um, Murata and Mishi both have scored three goals and contributed three goals in half of that time in their appearances. And you would want to say that like Higuain, you know, like what you know, we just had you know Giroud score a hat trick during you know the midweek. You know, and you know, I know Nick, you and I have traded this back and forth, but he's probably the best striker we have on the team right now and should probably be starting to help lift up the other players around him in a way that Higuain dropping back into the midfield circle uh, is probably not setting up his peers for success appropriately. And if you're talking about having a threat in front, 
I mean, Hazard is, you know, very close to averaging either a goal or assist per game this season. So I don't know if I necessarily buy in 100% that we don't have someone, don't have a killer up front. I think the the consistency piece has obviously been the, you know, mark on Hazard's game. But like consistently from a statistical perspective, like he is performing much, much better relative to any season he has had for us. And so like if you had a Drew in front this game with a Hazard, I, I think that changes the complexion of the attack mightily. Iguain was sick midweek for what it's worth. Then maybe he shouldn't have played today. And Great call, Dan. Honestly, if he's not 100%, that's not, but that's a manager's decision to make. Strikers need confidence for me, and I think uh, having seen Juro score that hat trick midweek, it should have been he should have been a decent shell to give him the start this for this game as well, just because confidence. You know, he's he's going now. Would have been nice to see him start for that reason only. Well, and I, I would say this. I think it, if I was a manager, and I'm clearly never going to be, so this is a pointless statement, but I'm going to make it anyway. If if someone on my team scored a hat trick, they're automatically starting the next game. Yeah, <laughs> automatically. Absolutely. Like I like that doesn't. And it's not to say that Iguain can't get it going at some point. It's just your margin of error at this point in the season is zero. So you need to play the people who are going to give you the best chance to win. And I said it last week. I'll say it again. Like Dan just pointed out, I think he's our best option. I think he has the best interchange. And if he's not going to be the guy to score, I feel like he gives the players around us or around um, him the better chance to do it so he's either going to be a better provider or he's going to get the goal and i think you know he should see a heavy dosage of minutes coming up maybe i mean he like iguain is proven to be a better striker the idea is to give him as many chances and reps and minutes as he can get so he can get back to where he is so you're investing time into him now so that he can get back to his better level that he can offer that we all know is much better than than drew so i i understand why but I, like you know maybe to next point you're saying you how much time you don't have enough exactly because that's something that mishi never got um and you know insert any striker behind diego costa or you know Murata since but it's just it it is what it is um so I don't know. We'll have to we'll have to keep it going. I think on this one, um, real quick, uh, gonna toss in a quick ad, and we'll be right back with. Ooh, sorry, putting a lot of blame on the mentality. That's right, the mentality crisis is back. Real quick, one second. All right, here we go, everybody. We are back with the mental component of today's loss, which is what Maurizio Sarri outlined in his post-match press conference. He continues coming back to this as a major issue but also doesn't seem to have a way to resolve it and eliminate it as a concern. So do we agree that that is the tar- the largest overarching issue right now? And if sorry, can fix it, should he be given more time? Um, Dan, starting with you, I think if he can fix it, obviously you would give him more time because then the problem would be solved. But unless you think there's a bigger problem that needs fixing, uh, to me, this is by far in a way uh, my biggest concern with this team. Yeah, it's it's really tough. I mean, it, you wish that uh, the you know psychiatric booth from uh, Lucy and the Peanuts was open because then it would be just a nickel to fix Sari's problems, and that would be uh, well within the club's ability to afford many many visits. But um, it, the way that he keeps going back to it um, with the selection of the same players, with the 
lack of modification to the structure of how he approaches certain matches. I mean, we've seen him um, be very kind of idealistic still and not always as pragmatic as he should be when it comes to potentially approaching a match with the way of winning the match versus trying to exert his style leads me to believe that it's a while mentality is a part of it i think it's his his rigidity is the single most frustrating and challenging thing that has to be resolved and as much as i want to support the idea of uh possession-based attacking football and something that you know is able to build fully from the back like that doesn't mean anything and you will not get an extension on your tenure at Chelsea if you can't produce a winning result um at the right level like it's Nick kind of at a point where like as much as it might be you know some of it might be down to the players like he you know you can't wash your hands and say like it's in the mentality I don't know how to fix it if you're the manager you know being paid multiple millions of dollars a year to figure it out and deliver on you know at a minimum top four and top four in a trophy is kind of like the you know actual like watermark for what he should be accomplishing with this side correct um and i i think i I was i was thinking about this earlier this week right and it's not because i don't have anything else to do because i certainly do um but I, i was thinking about this like he's used this mentality excuse or or comment many times probably 10 odd times this year in in press conferences and i'm wondering so one i think he just has he he might have an expectation of this group of players that they you know clearly are not following through on so that's probably really frustrating to him but i'm wondering like if he's not able to fix it Right, And he's clearly not because we've just seen this up and down, up and down, up and down. When it's great, it's amazing. When it's bad, it's all-time bad um, for the Abramovich era. Um, I'm wondering why he hasn't brought in a team of sports psychologists or, you know, motivational speakers or something else. Like, if he's not able to do it, you have to try something else. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting the same result or a different result. I apologize. Um, there has to be a different way forward. Like, and I think part of this all makes sense, right? He's choosing the same players week in, week out. They're doing the same things, making some of the same mistakes. We're, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like our attacking football. We're, we're passing a lot. We're doing some stuff, but we're never really getting the breakthrough. And I feel like that's probably mentally where he's at right now. Brandon is he's in, he's in a space where, you know, I've if I'm him, I've tried everything that I can. I've, I'm doing different training sessions. I'm you know hugging players. I'm scolding players. I'm trying like everything, and nothing's working. Like it would be really frustrating. But then you have to try something else. Yeah, uh, I'm actually pretty against the players right now. I'm I'm kind of fed up with their up and down and feebleness and just kind of lack of desire to go out there. I think that, um, you know, Maurizio, it's his job to find out a way to unlock them. But this group has a history of just packing up and being done with it. And it kind of feels like that right now. I don't, 
like Maritsu has to find a different way. And I think sometimes tactically, I feel like they were going vertically more in the last you know couple weeks. But when you compound the the Wolves situation, um, you know Dynamo Kiev, great, got a great draw right after it in the Europa League, uh, putting Sevilla, Valencia, and Arsenal, um, and Napoli all on the other side of the bracket. I'm pretty sure, um, putting us and what you would think is Benfica uh, on the other side. That's all great, but I mean these players are just they kind of like can't be bothered. I mean I just I had no problem walking away in the middle of the second half while I was at work. I was like, no, nah, you know, there's other stuff I can do. I'll just pop in later. Oh, still losing one nothing? Great. Oh, losing 2 nothing penalty? Fantastic. Like, I'm outie. And I just, these players, to me, they if they were showing the fight and the passion to try to dig themselves out of this hole, I would put a lot more blame on Maurizio. But once you put the players out on the pitch, he can only scream and shout so much. They have to take it on themselves. And I'm just, I, honestly, I just... I'm not seeing the body language out of our so-called leaders uh, and uh, players that are supposed to be carrying this team that makes me believe that this is a group of Chelsea players that are united and fighting for a cause. And unfortunately, this is the same old story we've seen before. Uh, Just playing for Chelsea clearly isn't enough for them. And it's really starting to uh, make me visibly upset when I watch these games. I'm kind of like... Kind of in between both, actually. Uh, I feel you, I feel you, Brendan. I feel the same way about that. Just the idea that the intensity and the 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 will and the drive to want to, you know, achieve greatness at this club has has fallen fallen significantly over the last few years. And it can't just be down to the manager for me. It just can't because we've seen three incredible managers. We've seen uh, Antonio Conte, who, who obviously knows how to motivate motivate squads. He's won leagues all over the place. We've seen Jose Mourinho, who uh, obviously not the most in vogue manager these days, but he has won all over the world, and he's had problems motivating this crew. Uh, we've seen Sari, who's you know playing some of the most you know or at least when we got him, was playing some of the most attractive football uh, this side of Europe. And he's having trouble motivating them. So I'm, I'm kind of in between. I, I do feel that, like, you know, the, the players are t- to be held accountable for some of this. But at the same time, Maurizio Sarri is not, is not instilling, he's not instilling the confidence into these guys either. Like, the fact that Emerson didn't even get, didn't play uh, midweek and, again, did not get a chance to play on the weekend, or today, actually, kind of shows me that he doesn't really trust him. Same thing can be said for uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi. Granted, uh, he played a great game, came on, and, uh, and got 20 minutes uh, at the end there. But what's wrong with starting him at the beginning? Where's the trust there? So... You know, we're looking at the squad right now and we're seeing these guys that are somewhat burnt out, you know, somewhat jaded. And who's to, who's at fault for that? Nobody but the manager, as far as I'm concerned. Well, I, mean, well, I, would, I would just, I would, I'll tee it to you, Nick. So I would say that the the personnel selection is probably, in my eyes, Maurizio's biggest fault. Um, at the same time, I can understand he's trying to build trust with certain players and trying to manage a new group. Um but I think that's a fair point. I think that's a really fair point. Nick, I don't know where you're heading with this. Um, but again, I just want to reiterate that to me, like these players are not doing themselves any favors. And we've seen them, you know, essentially just go through the motions before. 
as Dennis pointed out, to some very, very successful managers because they know all they have to do is write out the season. There's a They don't have a lot of competition within the squad. A bunch of them are on bumper contracts, including Danny Drinkwater. Like, they'll just wait it out, and it's pissing me off. I I think everyone can feel justified in that in that exact thing. I mean, certainly Maurizio hasn't uh, always handled himself with the best um, PR mentality uh, and, you know, certainly is, is a frustrating manager when it comes to some of the things that were previously mentioned. But, yeah, I mean, in, in a world full of change, these players largely are the constants. I mean, they... they They've been around for a while, especially your Daves, your Hazards, and and the like. Like these are these are professionals. They should be at the top of their game. And I think to transition us to our next point, so that we don't belabor this forever. The thing that really bothers me um, is that this team, you know, four weeks ago, you know, I thought we were heading for utter destruction, maybe a tenth place finish, because the mentality had gone. And, and we were, you know, our, our top four chances were resurrected because, you know, some of the other teams in our uh, in our kind of vicinity had dropped points. And so we had this golden opportunity to, you know, with two games in hand on Spurs and, and a game in hand on uh, Arsenal and United to use last week and use this week to get six points and to put ourselves in the driver's seat. We, we even talked about getting third because we were so confident that the team had turned a corner. And I think the thing that bothers me the most is that they, you know, the players were given this golden opportunity and in two consecutive weeks, shit it down their leg. And that's obviously it's on everybody. You know, you win and lose as a team and the team includes the manager, uh, Dennis, but this, this was an opportunity wasted. And I think it will haunt this club for a long time. Agreed. I'm, I'm not, I'm definitely not going to uh, going to dispute that in any way. I, I feel like we had we had it in our hands and we let it slip. But at the same time, you know, we still have we still have the Europa League to look forward to. And if we can pull together at least 12, 12 to thirteen players to just commonly look at these five next games in the Europa League, if we get that far and just focus on those, then all's not lost. I mean. The, the way the bracket uh, shaped out for us is perfect right now. We're looking at uh, two games against Prague and then possibly Frankfurt and or uh, Benfica. And then we, we're into the final. That's something that we have to be looking forward to and focused on at this point. Uh, as much as I wanted to see the team get into the Champions League by finishing top four, um, there's another route and we have to put... <laughs> all of our eggs in that one basket right now, as far as I'm concerned. Well, that's crazy though, Dan, because as we all know, that route includes doing something that this manager has never done before, which is winning a trophy. (laughs) And like, to me, that is nuts. Like to just bank on that. Like, so, so crazy. Well, mathematically, uh, unfortunately, um, the, the, the numbers start to become very damning when, you know, Tottenham and Arsenal, both now have better inroads to securing their top four spots. Even, you know, when you take, you know, just take form out of it, mathematically, they are in a better position now. And, you know, look, we ended last season 30 points behind the top team on the table, right? So we ended the season 70 points, five points out of fourth place, and, you know, 30 points behind Manchester City and the the Centurion side. So this season, you know, we're probably on pace 
with some type of finish to be 20-ish, 22, 25 points. So, like, we're saying season to season, like, all we were able to do is, like, get five points closer to the the inevitable winner, which we all hope is Man City and not Liverpool. Otherwise, the whole world will be over and then we won't have a podcast to do anymore, which I guess will be, like, some type of saving grace. Um, we're closer to Wolves right now than we are to the top of the table. Like, if there is not a better indictment of how poor this squad and these results have been managed, like, just look at the table, look at the fact that we potentially will get as many wins as we did last season. Um, But we also, you know, have United left still. We have Liverpool left still. And very, very much could find ourselves, you know, equaling our loss total from last season of 10 or more. And now again, Brandon, we have to hope that the teams that we've gotten and the draws that we've gotten will potentially put us in the Europa League final, which could be against an Arsenal who have been able to push us close in really in one game and then beat us in another, or in Napoli, which would have all the contextual kind of wonderment of a narrative story. But I, the odds are better there. Our football seems to work a little bit better in Europe, but. I, I just I'm not filled with confidence in any way. Yeah, super excited that we're sitting here looking at the table saying top four is a bit of a wash. And now let's look at that Europa League that we all were super not excited to be in. Uh, I know usually the table at the end of it, but the table is a huge part of where we're at right now. Liverpool whatever they're in first 76 points manchester city second 74 points of the game in hand tottenham uh somewhere in there with 61 points um arsenal fourth 60 points manchester united 58 points and chelsea sixth on 57 points brilliant opportunity to jump manchester united go a point or go even with arsenal uh you know just behind them on goal difference and here we are still in sixth right two wins a draw and two losses in our last five Premier League games. Um, and it's just super, super annoying. So Dennis, uh, our, our buddy Naz Kinsella uh, from Goal.com has the uh, Maurizio quote from the post-match press conference. And he says, quote, it is not impossible. Uh, and this is talking about the top four, I should say that. Quote, it is not possible. We are, or it is not impossible. We are only three points. It is impossible if we are not able to improve and avoid a second half like today. We need to play like the first half for the next eight matches without stopping playing or to defend. This is the limit, end quote. Uh, What are your hopes on Chelsea securing a top four finish? I know you just talked about the Europa League, but we do have to take the Premier League table at face value and uh, weigh up our chances there. Okay, so we got two, we got eight matches uh, in the balance, and we have two against Manchester United, or between Manchester United and Liverpool, uh, both of whom are in pretty decent form at this point versus our form. And we have to leapfrog three teams, or sorry, two teams in order to get top four to do so. Um, If I'm looking at it like right now, I'm saying we are on the outside looking in. Uh, is it possible for us to get fourth? Absolutely, without question. But it's going to take some help at this point. Not, not to mention the fact that like our goals, our goals for and against, uh, our goal differential versus that of Arsenal's, for instance, is, is, uh, is not looking that great right now. And, 
you know, we haven't really found any consistency whatsoever since that 18, 18 games unbeaten, unbeaten run. So we're not playing our best football right now. That's eight games that we have to be focused on as a, as a cup final, as opposed to, and again, I don't want to keep harping on it, but this is a viable way to achieve our, our, uh, our goal of getting into the Champions League this year, which is looking a lot more likely if, if, uh, if we focus on the Europa League. When you look at Prague, again, I don't want to keep uh, harping on it, but these are teams that we should be able to, you know, bear down and get some results out of. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not too... When I look at the Premier League table, I'm not, I'm not exactly filled with, you know, glee and joy at the fact that we have to still have to play West Ham and we, we always have problems with. We still have... Uh, you know, we have stuff to go to Anfield and we still have to go to like, you know, Old Trafford and secure three points in all of those matches and whatnot in order to even have a hope of getting top four. So, I mean, it's just we don't have the squad to compete on both on both fronts right now. So what do we do? We have to focus on one. For me, it's those five games. So I, I think what would be like just the perfect summary of like, Sorry's implementation of his football at Chelsea this season if we ended up in fifth place level on points with another team and we had not scored enough goals to have the right goal differential to actually claim the fourth spot and get automatic qualification we'd have all the possession of the points but we weren't able to do anything with the final little bit of it oh boy all right <laughs> um yeah look I I I don't. I think there's a major question, Dennis, that that we can finish top four. I, I don't. I don't think that's. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I don't think the re- Europa League is a gimme either, though. Like I, I think there's just there's there's too much, you know, kind of variable out there. And Chelsea is as a constant in this scientific experiment, not consistent. <laughs> so like I, you know, I don't think that either path is viable at this point, which in my mind means that my prediction at the beginning of the season comes true, which I had hoped it wouldn't of us finishing outside of the top four and not having champions league football. Um, this was not a rebuilding season. It was not supposed to be that way. And, uh, and it's, you know, clearly with other things in, in our way and in, including the transfer ban, Brandon, um, this, this could really start getting pretty dark here uh pretty quick darker quicker i think is where we're at um you know so obviously uh dan can't be bothered to put out a dan in the match after a result like this and i get it we don't blame you dan it was the right it was the right, it was the right thing to do it was the right thing to do it would not have been a, a kind poll so I, be- better to leave it collapsed. right so here we are we'll sit with our 35% chance of qualifying for the Champions League and uh, we will look forward to the next round that we ha- oh wait it's an international break what a perfect way to sit here and feel sorry for ourselves for another week Nick am I right man I mean oh, the timing <laughs> is rich you remember when we used to hate international breaks <laughs> boy this will be a, a welcome a welcome uh, relief uh, from what we have been through uh, the last couple of weeks. Right. Well, I, I do want to wrap this one up here with a tweet from our friend Mark Worrell at Gate17Mark. He tweeted, It generally feels like Chelsea Football Club needs a factory reset. The owner's mind and body is elsewhere. The directors lack genuine football pedigree. 
The manager seems out of his depth. Dressing room lacks leadership. Star players likely to leave. Wasted youth. No wonder supporters are disillusioned. So obviously, to follow that up with, you have uh, our friend Dan Silves at DanSilves73 who also said, I'm behind the club. The man in the dugout or the 11 on the pitch are only names. Names are temporary. Chelsea is permanent. A lot of a lot of our season ticket holding friends uh, trying to regain perspective that I think, Dennis, before the call, you were really kind of talking about is, is you know, the win or lose, up the blues. Uh, the carefree side of it probably isn't as carefree right now. There's just a lot of tensions. It's, it's fractured. So at the end of the day, we have to uh, back the team, back the club as best we can. Um, and uh, it's okay to have emotions, though, Dennis. We should just, you know, try to try to be friends about this, or at least cordial. You don't have to like them, but we can at least be cordial about it because we all love Chelsea. I just find it so polarizing when we have, like, you know, one side is like, sorry, Ian, sorry. Like, when did when did Chelsea FC become a hashtag? Like, uh, when did we when did we just start be, like sounding and looking like Arsenal? It's just, that's the most frustrating aspect for me. I like this hashtag sorry in, hashtag sorry out, or, you know, Roman out, or, you know, Hazard to Real Madrid. Let's just stick together. We got like eight games left uh, until, you know, our fate's truly decided. Until then, can we not just get behind the team and just, you know, put all of our passion, our will, and our, you know, our support behind them? All right. Well, uh, again, Dennis, a huge shout uh, a huge thank you to being on. We really appreciate it. Uh, we've been going back and forth via email, tweets, and everything like that. So it was an awesome time to get you on. Uh, really, really appreciate that. Again, check him out. Uh, CFC Couch Critic on YouTube and social media. Uh, he is a fantastic follow. But Chelsea fans, that's going to wrap us up for part one. Uh, instead of a normal part two, though, this week, we have a special with Jake Cohen. So make sure to tune into that later this week. We're going to be talking all things transfer ban. Uh, and you know, you know, kind of how the business side of Chelsea sits. So look forward to that. Uh, you know, because we got to get through this international break somehow. So until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do: keep the blue flag flying high. <laughs>